Um, We have been in a sermon series entitled The Upside Down Kingdom, and in it, we are studying the trip that Jesus and his disciples take from Galilee to Jerusalem, where Jesus is going to die. Uh, The journey is just as surprising to the disciples as the final destination. They learn that the kingdom is not what they expected, and it is entirely different from any earthly kingdom that they have experienced. The kingdom is upside down, and for them to be a part of it, they need to be changed, and they need to be turned upside down so that they could be right side up with the upside down kingdom. We pick up in uh, Matthew chapter 18, as Jesus has just begun addressing how they relate with one another as a community. You see, it's not just the relationship that they have with Jesus that needs to change, but also their relationship with one another needs to be flipped upside down as well. Now, we will study today Matthew 18, verses 15 through 35, uh, but Logan is going to come and read for us verses 21 through 35. As he comes, let us pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time that we have to, today in your word. I pray that you would speak and that we would listen and that we would obey. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, One who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this time, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of the servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing instead. He went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry with his master, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do this to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. And this is the word of the Lord. Have you ever been asked to do something and failed? Um, Worse still, have you ever been asked to do something and and thought you had met it with exceeding expectations, only to find out that you had fallen extremely short of what was asked? Um, Just a few days ago, my wife, who today is 30 years old, hello, yeah, (laughs) happy birthday, uh, just a few days ago, my wife and I went to uh, sign up for TSA PreCheck. Have you done that yet? 
we, we have missed or almost missed too many flights. I think my wife missed one, but uh, we have gotten close. I've, I've ran down the airport uh, terminal too many times. So we finally did it. Um, we, we booked the appointment weeks in advance because you have to do that. Um, we gathered more paperwork than we thought we needed to prove who we were. We got to the, the TSA appointment and we handed in everything, right? Only to discover that my wife's birth certificate <laughs> did not match her government-issued ID. Um, what was our mistake? Well, her last name has changed since she was born. <laughs> and uh, we had failed to bring our marriage license. Well, fortunately, after some pleading, they let us go home to get the marriage license and return to sign up for the TSA pre-check. I'm grateful uh, because the next appointment wasn't for weeks, maybe even months, and we are planning to travel soon. Uh, Disney is calling our name. Sunshine, warm weather, we are there, right? <laughs> uh, we thought we had provided more than enough, but still had fallen short of what was being asked of us. In this text, um, we see Peter, he asks a question, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And Jesus um, instructed the disciples to be like children, to step into humility and weakness. And we've been reading about that. He has instructed them to step into vulnerability with one another. He also goes on to say that it is inevitable for offenses to come. And when they do, he encourages the disciples to take proper actions to seek restoration. Then he goes on to give some practical steps when they hurt one another in verses 15 through 20. Um, I'll summarize it for you uh, because we didn't read it out loud. Uh, the first step here is if someone has sinned against you, caused you pain, you need to tell them. That was, that's the first step. Very practical, to speak up. If they don't listen or seek to make it right, the second step then is to take someone in the faith community with you and talk to them again. That makes sense to have someone that is a third party that may be able uh, to speak into that moment, that may listen to how they are responding. But still, if they don't listen, the next step is to grab some more people from the faith community, maybe even church leadership at that point, and speak to them yet again. A side note here. This is why it's important, or at least one of the reasons why church membership is important because membership really is about committing to one another and these practical steps that that Jesus gives occur within a church a group of disciples who are committed dedicated to one another but finally if the third step doesn't work the last action that Jesus says that we need to take is to treat them as someone you are trying to win to Jesus instead of someone in your community. Jesus here uses the term to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, someone who thinks they are in no need of Jesus and his kingdom. In a leadership role with the disciples, the instruction um, that Peter, or the, the, the question that Peter's prompted to ask then is, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me. 
You talk to us about how we are living in vulnerability and how we are also in that moment. There may be times where we hurt each other. And you've also given us practical advice about how to address those moments. But Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And even though Matthew doesn't record Peter's reaction, uh, Jesus' response is more than likely a surprise. I want to read it there, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. Then Peter approached and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, this is Jesus responding, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Now, my translation says 70 times seven. I preach from the the Christian Standard Bible translation, which I think is excellent uh, for both literal and readable purposes. However, there are times when a literal translation does not serve us best, and this may be one of those moments. If you read for more of a paraphrase, your translation may say 77 times instead of 70 times seven. I do think the translation of 77 times is more helpful and probably more accurate because it connects this verse, Matthew 18, verse 22, to Genesis chapter 4, verse 24, where we see the ungodly Lamech. And he says in a poem that he writes, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. Well, who is Lamech, right? Great question. Uh, He is the descendant of Cain, the first murderer within the Bible. Who does he kill? His brother Abel, right? And according to Genesis chapter 4, Lamech has taken even more revenge on the man who struck him than God has taken on Cain for killing his brother Abel. This is amazing because Jesus literally takes Lamech's bad example, and he turns it around, and he urges his disciples to practice generous forgiveness when their brothers hurt each other. In other words, Lamech and his uncontrolled vengeance is a response to being wronged in an earthly kingdom, while Jesus and his kingdom's response is about unbridled, generous forgiveness. Another observational question with this text is, why would Peter suggest seven times? He asks the question, and then he gives like his own suggestion, right? Well, the rabbis within their culture, they taught that a Jew should forgive a repeated sin three times. That's what they taught. But after that, there's no more need for forgiveness. They take this out of the first two chapters of Amos. Peter suggested how many times? Seven, and probably felt pretty generous doing so, right? I mean, this was more than double what the rabbis had been instructing. Seven was also a round number, sometimes regarded as a perfect number. So Peter probably thought that his suggestion was the perfect suggestion to his question. And Peter soon discovered that actually he had fallen short of what Jesus was expecting from him. And Jesus says, no, 
Not seven times, to which Peter probably thought Jesus was going to end this correction with a smaller number than what he had said. And he would have been surprised when Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, this response from Jesus is exceedingly more than what their rabbis were asking from them. But this is not a statement about math, is it? Jesus is not wanting us to like count the number of times that someone sins or wrongs us. And when we get to 77, we can just leap for joy because we're done forgiving them. That's not what he is wanting us to do. No, Jesus' response is about forgiveness. And he wants the people in his kingdom to be marked as people who forgive generously. But there is a problem. If you've been around OCC long enough, you know that we often talk about things that we should do, followed by why we don't do them. (laughs) There is a problem. Even though we should forgive generously, we often fall short. Failing to forgive others, and I think there are a couple of misunderstandings we may have of forgiveness that are actually the problem. You see, the first misunderstanding that we have of forgiveness is failing to understand what it is not. So today, I want to provide for you a list of what forgiveness is not in Matthew chapter 18. Now, I typically uh, don't work from from lists as it makes me feel like I'm in school again, and uh, I don't like that, but I I think this could be helpful um, as we we talk about what forgiveness is not. So we're going to put it on the screen there for you. Now, before we go over this, I want to credit Lewis Smeads and Tim Mackey for curating this list and and helping me think through this passage about forgiveness. Also there on uh, the screen is Smeads' uh, book. It's called The Arts of Forgiving. And if you want to, you can purchase it. It's a pretty good read. But the first thing on this list of what forgiveness is not in Matthew chapter 18 is ignoring or forgetting. Jesus is not asking you to keep your hurt inside by ignoring or forgetting that you have been wronged. Matter of fact, that's why he talks about in verses 15 through 20 to go to the one that has wronged you. We see this in the practical steps that he gives. Forgiveness is not ignoring, nor is it forgetting. Secondly there, forgiveness is not condoning or excusing. We discussed this some last week as Jesus highlights the uh, seriousness of offending one another. Even though he says it's inevitable, he goes on to say that just because it will happen doesn't make it right. Don't condone the wrong. Further, forgiveness is not tolerating or allowing further abuse. This is important. Jesus does not tolerate us wronging one or hurting one another. And he even goes to exaggeration to make his point when he says in verse 9 that we read last week, if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. Uh, Do not tolerate offense is what Jesus is saying. And seek to ensure that it doesn't keep happening. Let me also say, If you are experiencing or have experienced abuse in any way, one of the bravest things that you can do is to speak up. 
Let me be a pastor and encourage you if you are experiencing abuse. One of the bravest things that you can do is to speak up. Let the church be there for you. The next one on this list is, it probably seems odd, but I want to make a clear distinction. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. Now, we can hope for reconciliation. We can hope for restoration with the one who has wronged us. However, just because you forgive someone does not necessarily mean there will be restoration. For that part is out of your control. You forgive, but the offender may not listen or seek to make things right. Also, finally, there, uh, forgiveness. Um, well, not finally, but there in the list is forgiveness is not things returning to the way things were before the offense. We can be restored and reconciled, but that doesn't always mean everything is the same as it was before. Often it's not. Often things are different. Often there's sacrifice that is involved in reconciliation. And so something is given up. And finally, forgiveness is not offering someone an escape from consequences for their actions. And I feel that is pretty obvious as we read Matthew 18 and saw some, some pretty dire consequences. Well, if we misunderstand what forgiveness is not, then sometimes we also misunderstand what forgiveness is. And that leads to our failure too, and falling short of what Jesus has asked us. So Jesus, knowing his disciples probably need clarity on his instructions, provides for them another parable. Now keep in mind that a parable is a story that Jesus tells to reveal secrets of the kingdom. And in this parable, we learn about the mystery of forgiveness in the kingdom of God. Read this with me in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 23. For the reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the, the, the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Verse 26, at this, a servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. Now, talent was a measure of weight equivalent to 75 pounds. The exact or even relative buying power of 10,000 talents of silver is really secondary to the point Jesus was making, namely, that the debt was impossible to pay. Now, depending on the current price of silver, the enslaved person owed the equivalent of many millions of dollars. There was no way he could begin to pay off such a large debt. Still, the king was generous. Knowing the debt owed was financially impossible to pay, he offered an opportunity for it to be made right. Now, for us, the, the command here seems a little bit harsh, that the king would order him, his wife, children, and everything he had to be sold. However, in this culture, it was appropriate for someone to, to work off a debt they owed by being sold into debt service, where their family would go live on someone's estate and work out what they owed, and afterward, they would return home debt-free. Still, we see more of the king's generosity, don't we? 
as the servant begs for him to be patient. He forgives the servant entirely of the enormous debt that was owed and released him. Now, the question I have for you is, what led him to dismiss the debt, this great amount of money that he owed to the king? Verse 27, there's a phrase there that's very important to this entire text. It says, the master of that servant had what? Compassion. The master of that servant had compassion. His heart went out to this man. His heart provided the opportunity for things to be made right. The generous king forgave the servant because of his compassion for him. This is a beautiful parable up until this point, right? Because then it takes a horrible turn. Verse 28, the servant, he went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And he grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. Now, the reaction of this servant was appalling. He proceeded to collect the debt from a fellow servant and even resorted to physical violence, choking him to obtain it. A denarius was a, day, a day's wage for a common laborer or a foot soldier. And therefore, the debt owed was substantial. But it was trivial compared with the debt the king had forgiven the servant, wasn't it? Both debtors appealed to their respective creditors in a similar way. Yet, the forgiven servant remained unmoved, hard-hearted. He threw his fellow servant into debtor's prison until he could exact Extract the total amount of debt from him. Now, let me ask you a question I think doesn't take too much to think about. Can someone make money to pay off a debt while in prison? Now, maybe in our context, there is a slight possibility, but the situation the fellow servant was put in, it was impossible. He would not be able to pay off the debt that he owed to his fellow servant while he was in jail. So what was the difference then between the king and the servant who had been forgiven much? The servant was unwilling to forgive a debt that could have been paid, while the king was more than willing to forgive a debt the servant could never have paid. Let me say that again. The servant was unwilling to forgive a debt that could have been paid, while the king was more than willing to forgive a debt the servant could have never paid. The servant was cold-hearted and unwilling, while the king was compassionate. That's the difference. This parable is about forgiveness. And this is also a picture of the gospel and what God in his compassion has done for us. I love the way that we see this compassion on display in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. I want you to read it with me. For while we, will while we were still helpless and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 says, For rarely will someone die for a just person, 
Though for a good person, perhaps, someone might even dare to die. And I love this verse, Romans 5, verse 8. But God proves his own love for us. He demonstrates his own love for us. His compassion is on display in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we understand this parable in the light of the cross, it becomes clear that you and I are the servant who couldn't pay back the debt owed to the king. Romans 5 says we are helpless, doesn't it? It is impossible to pay back the debt we owe as ungodly people. So what happens? God provides a way for us to be reconciled to him. His heart, his love was given to us when he gave us Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners in debt to him. The gospel and the kingdom are about forgiveness. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is providing a way for one to make things right. And God, through Jesus, provides a way for us to be made right with him. We must understand that the cross is necessary. For Jesus must go to Jerusalem and die. God does not merely just cancel our debt. That's not what the gospel is. Instead, the gospel is God being moved with compassion towards us, sending us his son and through his death, providing us an opportunity to be set free from our sin and restored in him. The compassion of the father and the work of Jesus that has been done on our behalf. That is the good news. That is the gospel. So, what is our response to this story? The parable Jesus shares with his disciples. What is our response to the gospel and what Jesus has done for us? We need God to change our heart. I want to keep reading here in Matthew 18, picking back up with verse 31. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, he, his master said to him, you wicked servant, forget, forget, for I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Verse 33, shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you. Unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from where? Your heart. Where does the servant go wrong in this parable? It's not that he has sudden amnesia and can't remember what the king has done for him. It's that he is unwilling to provide an opportunity for his fellow servant to be made right with him. You see, it's a heart problem. He is unwilling to forgive, and his fate is precisely the same he inflicted on his fellow servants. He is thrown into a horrible situation until he pays off his debts, in an impossible situation where there is no reality of him being able to do so. Remember, the gospel teaches that we are helpless, and this man was helpless. There is no amount of work that he could do to pay for his debts, for they are far too outstanding. We also are in need of someone else 
who could pay the penalty for us. And at the end of this parable, we see here a man who has revealed his true colors, what's really inside. He cannot forgive because his heart has always been the problem. It is here in verse 35 that Jesus gives to the disciples a warning. And he says, the tragic end could also be their fate unless they forgive brother and sister, which can only happen from a changed heart. A change that can only happen if they go to Jerusalem. So what is our response to this story? What is our response to the gospel? The opportunity God gives us through his son's death? We must be changed. And that change begins within. We need to become new people, turned upside down, to be right side up with the upside down kingdom, which happens at the core of who we are. Jesus creates in us a new heart. That's what happens at the cross. And we are marked with that new heart by how we are compassionate to those who have wronged us. Because of the gospel, we forgive others, providing an opportunity for things to be made right. That's what God has done for us. And that's what he asked for us to do for others. The response for us is to go to Jerusalem and to meet Jesus at the cross. I want to invite the band to come, and they're going to begin to play. And um, as they do, I, I want to end with the same questions I asked you earlier. Have you ever been asked to do something and failed? Worse still, have you ever been asked to do something and you thought you had met with exceeding expectations only to find out that you had fallen extremely short? Maybe as you have heard this story and heard this parable and thought about forgiveness today, you know that you have fallen short of what Jesus has asked of you. Perhaps for you, some people came to mind during this time together. You know, just bringing up hurt can cause so many painful memories to, to flood in, right? I want you to know that this conversation is about life in gospel community. It doesn't mean that you need to seek reconciliation from that TSA agent um, that wronged you, right? I mean, I guess it could, but really, this is about life in gospel community. People that he's asking you to be vulnerable with, to become like a child with, to step into weakness with, knowing that you're going to get hurt, but also knowing that forgiveness is who we are. You see, we have been forgiven much by our Father. And in turn, we forgive generously because it mirrors the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us. Our hearts are changed by the cross. And I want to invite you to respond today, praising God for His compassion towards you. His heart is moved towards you even today. Maybe for you, this might be one of the first times that you've processed what the Father has done for you, that he has given us Jesus. I'd love to talk with you. I'm usually the first one out the door in the four year after this is done. Come find me. I'd love to talk with you. He has compassion towards you. He loves you. He sent his son 
for you. Let's respond today, thanking him for Jesus, thanking him that he chases after us, thanking him that he knows who we are. He knows where we've been. He knows everything about us. And he loves us still. He loves us completely. So much so that he gave his son. He made a way for you to be right with him. That's what forgiveness is all about. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. I pray that in these moments that we would worship you today because of your love. That you would be the one that our heart is moved by, completely changed by you. We praise in the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Let us stand and, and let us sing today. We thank you for your love towards us. And you have forgiven us so much. Thank you for your compassion towards us. God, we ask that you would continue to change our heart. Change us from within, at the core of who we are, so that our lives would mirror the gospel and we would forgive others, providing a way for things to be made right in our relationships. Also declaring the gospel, providing a way for others to be made right with you. We thank you for your love that changes us from the inside out. Pray all this in the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ.